Yo, this weirdo really starting a podcast? Yeah, girl, he been like that since birth. Always gotta do everything in the weirdo way. The weirdo way. The weirdo way. The weirdo way. And we rolling. What is up, weirdos? Oh, what is up, weirdos? What's up, weirdos? What's up, weirdos? <laughs> What's up, weirdos? <laughs> Welcome to the Weirdo Way Podcast. I am your host, Weirdo Way. And can you tell how excited I am? I've missed you so much. Can you guys do me a favor and kiss me through the phone? Friends, family, any weirdo ladies that might be with their boyfriend right now, you guys can keep it simple. Nice, cordial kiss on the cheek. Mwah. Ladies, if you're single, feel free to get as nasty or unnasty as you want to with your kiss through the phone. Consent is given. Fellas, too, it's okay. 2021, just a quick. Mwah. We eliminating toxic masculinity. If you miss your guy, you can go ahead and tell him. All right, I missed y'all too. But first, you already know how we get down. If you're listening on Spotify, if you're listening on Apple, do me a favor. Five stars, five stars, five stars. Because if you're going to do anything in this life, you might as well do it to the best of your abilities. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Follow on Twitter, at Weirdo Way. On Instagram, at Weirdo Way. And tell a friend to tell a friend that they should tune in to the Weirdo Way podcast. And what's really interesting is, like, I always say, I don't care how huge it gets per se the podcast that is the podcast i just want it to be impactful i just want when you listen to the word away podcast you learn something or you walk away with a different perspective that you didn't consider before and every time someone listens to the podcast i get that feedback and that lets me know i'm successful in that goal so keep on sharing this episode, whether it be one part or two, I have not decided yet. So we'll find out together whether this is the final episode of the season, part one, or the final episode of the season, period. But season two, I'm going to give you guys a lot more consistency because you guys deserve that. You guys tell me that's what you want, even though I keep on telling y'all ain't nobody paying for me yet. <laughs> I love and appreciate you guys' support and feedback. So I'm going to do that for y'all. And what's crazy is that with the amount of podcasts that there are out here and there are a lot of podcasts like there are so many podcasts i think there's a podcast for okay full disclosure usually i've used this space to speak on a topic that i don't want to dedicate the entire episode to but feel like i really want to talk about i think like the last episode when i went on that 9-11 hashtag never forget spiel as you can imagine i got a lot of mixed reviews about that one but basically it's like a soft open so i can drop like intro topics or maybe not so soft open <laughs> maybe more so a hot topic open a hot take open but this episode i've gone through a couple iterations of what i'm gonna do in this spot for example i was going to use this spot to go after cryptocurrency for the environmentally destructive criminally money laundering mlm pyramid schemey adjacent <laughs> strictly speculative highly volatile faux decentralized quote-unquote currency that it absolutely is and deserves to be called out for <laughs> or like one of my favorites bomani jones calls it the funny money. So it's going to start off like, there are so many podcasts. There are so many podcasts. I think there's a podcast for every single nonsensical cryptocurrency coin that pops up every other day. I had this whole spiel about how the capital currency angle of crypto technology is actually its most pathetic use. Like there are some really incredible uses for the blockchain technology, such as online voting or allowing musicians to really empower fans in themselves that are much more exciting and beneficial uses of this technology, like allowing your day one fans to really prove that they are day one 
fans with some sort of um, NFT or something. You know, you, they could purchase that or be, and it gives you that. It gives the musicians autonomy to do what they want to and make the music that they love for the markets that they love, and not just what's going to be the next radio hit. I mean, you guys heard Weirdos Love Minnesota music. You you know how I feel about that. But think of how many times your favorite artist blew up, and you're like, I was at the Big Sean concert before he got huge, right? And it'd be cool to have like some sort of NFT, and you can prove that for whatever sort of social clout you're looking for when you say things like that. In the case of online voting for U.S. elections, it would go a long way in solidifying faith in uh, our democracy, which most sane Americans at this point, all sane Americans at this point know the election was not stolen in any way. But how great for the country would it be if we could go through and guarantee every vote was undisputable and could not be repudiated by using this blockchain technology? And equally as important, make it accessible and convenient for every eligible voter. So like a certain party who spends more time trying to convince us that votes were stolen or people are fake voting should be taking a long look at how they can invest in this technology for voting. But they won't because they don't actually want everyone, every eligible American to vote. Right. Because that's how they win elections. That and gerrymandering. It's actually quite performative. If it wasn't performative, Election Day would be a national holiday where everyone got off or some sort of PTO and you could stand in line and one vote, one person it to death, whatever. That's just the sort of thing you do when you actually value democracy over all else. Although now that I'm thinking about it and I can't really remember if I've asked the weirdos this question before or not. So bear with me. If I took a poll of the average American and I asked what is more important to America, democracy or capitalism? What do you think the answer would be? What do you think they'd say? Mm. Or what do you think they believe, actually? That's a better one. I'm digress. So I wasn't going to go with the crypto intro because I'm like, if you follow me on social media, you know exactly how I feel about crypto already. And I'm kind of scared of being loud wrong on this one because to be fair to me, I'm speaking on crypto in its current form now, in its Bitcoin form, which is extremely resource intensive and unsustainable. But if it changes, if it evolves, so will my opinions on this idea, as in all things. So I nixed that intro. Then I'm like, I need to speak on my disdain, hatred for the mainstream media <laughs> which i feel like now when you say mainstream media you have to say things like uh lamestream media or deep state and you have to follow it up with the libtards <laughs> i told y'all in the last episode if the right don't get nothing else right they are good at branding but back on topic i'm like for this intro i could talk about how irksome it is to read listen to mainstream media cover this time in labor relations primarily their insistence on calling it a labor shortage so i was gonna start it off like there are so many podcasts like i think there's a podcast for every time I have to shout at a news report covering the great resignation and calling it a labor shortage. One, it's kind of an oxymoron to call something the great resignation and then say there's no labor. But mainly, it's not a labor shortage, y'all. It's a wage shortage. Again, it's not a labor shortage. It is a wage shortage shortage. I get so annoyed with the way we talk about labor in our nation for a whole lot of reasons, a buku bevy of reasons. <laughs> One of the biggest being we are a great nation made up of largely middle management and laborers, which there's no shame in that. Regardless of what productivity, Instagram, and entrepreneurship, Twitter tell you, they try to make you feel like a shame for having a regular job, which again, another story for another time. Laborers and middle management are the strength, the backbone of this economy. There is no shame in being that. The shame 
shame is that we do not vote like it. We do not organize like it. And we don't report the news like it. We really don't. First thing is, it is amazing that up and down the board, the biggest corporations in America have rolled the pandemic to record profits, like the margins of which the world has never seen. And it would be logical. It would be ethical that those corporations would increase the pay and the benefits for the workforce that made those profits possible. <laughs> However, all across the country, labor is striking and somehow all you keep hearing about most is stories of labor shortage. Again, autocorrect that in your head to say wage shortage. And you know what? The Brookings Institute, which is this nonprofit independent research firm, they put out this report. Basically, they state while many of our favorite American corporations, Albertsons, Amazon, Best Buy, CVS, Costco's Target, Walmart, you name it. <laughs> they raked in record profits during the pandemic. The pay for the essential workers that we so praised up performatively went up by an average of a dollar and 11 cents per hour. So all those nonsense performative PSAs about essential workers were just that performative. The two with the largest profit increases, like the two corporations that really turned the pandemic into a pandemic <laughs> were Walmart and Amazon, not surprisingly, but they gave the smallest increases, 95 cents for Jeff Bezos and the Space Cowboys at Amazon, 63 cents for Wally's World Work. Couple that with what should have been a bombshell report from the New York Times in October that stated 26 Fortune 500 companies for years have avoided paying any U.S. federal taxes. That is stealing from America at the highest level. Think about it. The country that allows them to exist, that provides the roads, the bridges, highways, infrastructure, that allows their employees, products, etc. to function and provide their record revenue. They don't pay into that at all. While paying their essential workers so low, many of their employees must tap into the U.S. social safety net. Think about WIC, food stamps, rental assistance, etc. They don't pay into that at all. How unpatriotic is that? For companies that love to perform patriotism every veteran's holiday or for of July or anytime they need a little extra sales boost, they'll wrap their product in the flag. That's why I always get riled up when I see performative nonsense masquerading as real patriotism, as real care for everyday Americans. And I hope listening to this podcast, every weirdo by now can recognize it as well and teach others to recognize it as well. And let's begin to rethink what we say is unpatriotic and what is actually unpatriotic. You know what? I think I've said performative 52 times on this episode so far. So we're going to go ahead and make that the word of the episode. So yeah, I was going to go with that as the intro that the labor shortage should be autocorrected to the wage shortage and any actual labor shortage we may have is caused by the 800,000 Americans that are dead due to COVID-19. But I'm like, nah, I should save that for the weirdos deconstruct American capitalism episode. <laughs> now, look, I mean, I just spent so much time explaining why I didn't do those intros and I can't even do the intro that I had planned, which is to talk all about the Minnesota Timberwolves and how excited they make me this season. Even though their ceiling is probably the second round of the playoffs, their energy, effort, exuberance, talent, future has me feeling better than I have ever felt in my Minnesota Timberwolves sports life. And trust me, I have seen the depths of basketball hell okay and it looks like rooting for luke right now and alexis fed as your starting backcourt in the nba <laughs> it looks like david khan drafting ricky rubio and johnny flynn over stephen curry in the 2009 nba draft okay yo there's so many podcasts there's a podcast for every time I spam my friends group chat to talk about how much I love this Minnesota Timberwolves team. And unfortunately, now I've run out of time to spam my own podcast with these Timberwolves takes. <laughs> 
I will next time. And what's wild, all that was just an elaborate ruse to tell you guys how many podcasts there are out there and how appreciative I am that you guys have come with me all season. Round of applause to you. No, standing ovation. Weirdos, weirdos, weirdos. Yes, weirdos, you are so appreciated. Don't you doubt it for a second, not a nanosecond, not a millisecond. And because you are so appreciated, I have a big interview for you today. I'll tell you more about it on the other side. I cannot wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's get into it, yeah? The sash, nah, yeah, water, Lego. Weirdo, a person who is extraordinary, strange, or eccentric. All right, so on today's episode, we have a big interview. And I don't just mean big in the sense that it's long as fuck. I mean big in the sense that it's some important subject matter. I got to sit down with a police officer from one of the country's biggest and baddest metropolitan areas. And let's just say you're going to like it. You're going to love it. You're going to hate it. You're going to poke and prod at it. You're going to tell me what I could have done better, what I could have done worse. Even me listening back to it, it was a lot of shoulda, coulda, wouldas. However, above all else, one way or the other, you will escape your echo chamber. And you know that is of the utmost importance. If you are to be a good weirdo. I decided to do this interview, what, October? So, weirdos, just know that um, (laughs) I have a lot of content, like, sitting in the chamber. And sometimes it's just a matter of getting around to it. Life gets crazy. But, uh, yeah, I did this interview in October. And I wanted to drop it as an election special podcast, election special episode. At the time, Minneapolis had three huge ballot initiatives. And um, pretty much everything that I voted for failed. (laughs) <laughs> but that is one thing about being a weirdo you know what i'm saying you're gonna be thinking you're gonna be zigging when other people are zagging you're gonna be a progressive you're gonna be um ahead of the time a lot of a lot of the time but you guys remember what i taught you the cool thing about being a progressive is that you usually always get to be right you just early you know what i'm saying Martin Luther king was a weirdo harriet tubman was a weirdo you just early you're not wrong you're just early but you still gotta put the work in Anyway, it's true. My whole entire ballot, none of it passed. Not a single thing. And you know what's crazy is I didn't for a second, not even a millisecond, think about, you know what would be a good idea? Let me go storm the Capitol and try to overthrow the results of the re-election. Not for a moment, not for a second. (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, that never crossed my mind because uh, there's just some things that we should still hold dear in America and democracy absolutely has to be one of them respecting the integrity and the results of an election have to be one of them, whether you agree with them or not. November 2016, as devastated as I was that my candidate who I voted for didn't win, I never once thought a good idea would be trying to (laughs) storm the Capitol and chant about hanging the vice president or, I mean, just absolutely asinine. And then what's crazier is that you hear people try to now do revisionist history, call it a walk in the park. And you know what's dangerous about that? Oh, damn, digressing again, but y'all used to it by now. The most dangerous thing about that is that when you have an entire party not participating in the proceedings, in the investigation to see what happened at the Capitol, what you have is them then sanctioning what is going to be their military arm. They are sanctioning political violence. They are sanctioning, if we don't get our agenda across 
by democracy <laughs> and democracy I use loosely because they're gerrymandering and they are passing voter restrictive laws. But if we don't get our agenda passed by that means, we will get it passed by force. Basically, if we can't cheat to win, we will destroy democracy. <laughs> Again, I only laugh to keep from crying, y'all. This shit is not funny. And when you make conscious decisions to not punish those who incited and participated in those proceedings, you are trying to sanction what you consider to be your military arm. Not only is that un-American, it's treacherous. It's treason. When you say you want to pardon people who participate in those type of events, that's a dangerous place to be. Instead of working harder to See if you can convince Americans to come to your side of the aisle. You want to gerrymander, you want to restrict voting rights, and you want to sanction political violence. That's dangerous, dark road to go down. And every American should be mortified and angered by it. But that's another episode for another day. As it pertains to Minneapolis, though, no cap, like every ballot question I voted for failed. But to be fair, like, I understood that as a weirdo, you kind of understood that already, right? It lets me know that I'm on the right path. Like, I wrote on Twitter, at Weirdo Way, if you're nasty, quote, Am I surprised that a certain demographic some months after the performative allyship of social justice in a full liberal city voted to maintain a broken status quo motivated by fear and misinformation? <laughs> no, of course not. That's the most normal thing ever. Those election results in November were so normal. What I was advocating for was courage critical thought and an imagination that we can do better than a toxic culture that has direct roots in slavery and their essential mission has gone largely unchanged since then and they not only resist reform but actively sabotage meaningful change but that would require us to be weird yeah i was hoping the city would vote like weirdos unquote because normal is what got us here man normal is what keeps us here policing specifically the culture of the Minneapolis Police Department, destroying the very fabric of a city that I know and love. When in response to bad behavior and piss poor performance and tactics, you get things like the blue flu where officers all call in sick or don't show up to work or quit rather than change or which, you know, actually quit rather than change. I'm not mad about actually if you don't want to change, I encourage it. But but artificially increase the response time it takes for them to get to a call, which puts residents in danger. And their poor performance when they get there makes residents hesitant to even call them because they cannot be sure that these officers will act in the appropriate ways to solve crimes, to keep people safe. <sighs> All while riding sky-high budgets, all-time high police budgets, and embarrassingly low by comparison investment in youth programs, jobs programs, preventative programs but you already learned that and then for any politician to dare speak truth to power is political suicide any body on twitter who dares says anything negative about them is then labeled as antifa and put on their watch list and they lie so much to the point where it's like why would i even bother giving you the benefit of the doubt i, I have too much of a sample size at this point to believe anything that comes out from that department and i'm not antifa guy got I mean, whatever that even fucking means but i'm not all caps or bad guy i grew up in inner city philadelphia i'm on north side every day i coach tutor i understand the need for proper policing and good policing that is not what i'm getting consistently enough from this minneapolis police department for my tax dollars 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? The city of Minneapolis deserves a public safety department that actually takes pride in the city of Minneapolis. And that's not what we have. This police force act- actively detest the residents of Minneapolis. They wear badges on the uniform that say Murderapolis. They go against their own police policy and wear Blue Lives Matter patches on their uniforms, knowing that it antagonizes residents and citizens of the city. For God's sakes, they put up racist Christmas trees on the north side in their precincts. Like, <laughs> they do not like the residents of Minneapolis, and it could not be more abundantly clear. Not a single example I've cited is not public record. You can go find it yourself. By and large, and as a culture, see how they deal with the people, see how they interact with the residents, puncturing tires, talking about hunting protesters. It's in the language. It's in the videos. Don't take my word for it. Trust but verify. That's what I always say, right? The culture of the MPD is beyond incremental reform. And that's what you guys voted for to maintain. And I still love my neighbors, of course, but that's what they voted for, to maintain the culture of incremental change that leads to nothingness. But that's just me calling how I see it. However, I understand there are more than one side to every issue. And being the weirdo that I am, long story short, I just brought this up to an active police officer one day. (laughs) Then he started talking and I started talking and the conversation probably went for like two, three hours and it was riveting. It was so good. I was like, hey, I have a podcast. You want to come on? He was like, sure, I would love to. And actually, through no fault of his, it's actually my fault. I think the conversation we had off air was better than the conversation we had on air. But yeah, I think... The interview we had that you're going to listen to here is better to be thought of as a discussion than a debate, right? When it's the debate, you're trying to win. When it's a discussion, you're just trying to understand each other. And I think that's kind of where we were going to. I actually think that people on the left having discussions amongst themselves could take a thing or two from that, right? Because too often we cannibalize our own. We look for perfection in our allies. And it's just not possible. It's not realistic. Hold people accountable, call them out. But going nuclear when you could just use diplomacy is not the way to go. But anyway, I'm doing all this talking. I want to get into this interview, man. It's probably like too late, but I wasn't going to put it out. I hate the audio quality. I hated the way I was talking in it. I just, just I didn't like it. my first live interview. I didn't want to do it. I'm awkward and sloppy and I'm putting it out there into the universe. I wish I talked so much less and let him talk so much more, but they're growing pains in learning how to do a good interview, especially when I hope to come back to this idea of policing a couple more times before this podcast is dead and buried. I want to do one episode where we dive deep into the MPD 150 Enough is Enough report. That's a great resource. If you guys are wanting to know more about the culture of policing, the culture of abolishment, um, however aspirational it may be, even if you just want to speak more intelligently about policing, then I highly recommend MPD150.com. Because you know what's crazy? Like no one, anyway, we talked about this in the interview, but no one loves police or appreciates police, or understand the needs for police more than people in concentrated poverty, aka the hood. They concentrate poverty there, and then are shocked when concentrated poverty things happen. <laughs> like, anyway, without further ado, let me get into this interview, man. Escape the echo chamber. Weirdos, we are joined by a very special guest today. We have a longtime police officer who's going to come and help us break down policing. He personally knows how I feel about police, and we've had this discussion before, but we bring it to the podcast. Mr. Rohan Walker, thank you very much. How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Can you please go ahead and tell us a little about yourself and your, your time on the force? And, uh... Okay. My name is Ron Walker. really from Jamaica. I was on the force for 17 and a half years in the proactive capacity. So that means I was part of the warrant execution team, the burglary apprehension team, and the tactical team. 
the warrant execution team, just like the word says warrant, we go after warrants. We go after from the class A misdemeanors to all the way up to the capital murder, stuff like that. Then I switched over to they had up to 160 burgers a month in a in an area. So we saturated the area and we suppressed it down to less than 50 a month. Then I got bored of that and went over to the tactical unit. We basically went after dope in the neighborhood and that was it. Then I went back to patrol. Dope. And one of the things we try to do a lot on the podcast, we try to escape the echo chamber, right? Because a lot of times what happens is you get in these silos of information, right? You get into your corner, whatever you believe. You only listen to people who say what you already believe, right? Right, right. So that's why conversations like these are super important so we can get outside of our comfort zones. And uh, what's up, dog? (laughs) And um, we want to basically get a perspective that comes from a different place, right? So one of the first things we'll talk about is in Minneapolis right now, we have... On the ballot in November, the Minneapolis Police Department. And as you know, they've been in the news a lot, right? Like they've, right, right, they've, right. they've been in the news for all sorts of things. I think another video just came out where they had the body camera footage and they were talking about hunting protesters and it was, it was really bad. What they're proposing is to eliminate that and put a Department of Public Safety. Now, you as a longtime police officer, I would love to know what your thoughts are on that. What are your objections to that? What are your, what do you think is good about that? What do you think is bad about that? What do you see? Well, um, Personally, there's still going to be police. If it's going to be a DPS, just like it's a police, but now state run. Mm-hmm. So they might be different ways to police, maybe different techniques, different whatever. But it's still going to come down to personally, it's still going to come down to training of that person mm-hmm. or that, 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 that department, you know. And again, yes, you might change the department, but are you changing the, the people's mindset as far as policing? You see what I'm saying? Right. Police is still a police. Right. One of my things is I personally believe the MPD, as it's currently constructed, is beyond reform. Right. Mm-hmm. I think you can take out the people, but the culture is kind of like too ingrained. And maybe that's one of the benefits of bringing in the DPS, because I'm a big fan of the idea of reimagining policing. Like what we're doing right now clearly isn't working. It costs us millions of dollars to settle with George Floyd. I mean, every time there's a shooting, it costs us millions and millions of taxpayer dollars. We got to try something different, in my personal opinion. But- I think maybe we've talked about this before. 96% of the MPD comes from outside of Minneapolis, meaning they're driving in from their suburb, coming to police the neighborhoods, and then they go back, which kind of lends itself to like being an occupying force as opposed to like being a part of the community. What do you what do you think about how well, that happens that? all over? I mm-hmm. mean, you got in New York City. A lot of the officers that work in New York City live in the outskirts of New York, mm-hmm. um, the Long Islands, the, you know, and live and they come in. Um, a lot of times you kind of do that as an officer because you want to protect your family. Mm-hmm. Got a story once, a guy, I, um, I knew him, they last thing just happened to be Walker, funny. <laughs> and they lived actually on the same block, but on a different block number. Like, this is 115. They lived at 117 or 118. Same block. Got arrested the young man for uh, criminal trespassing. Gave him a break. He came back. Long story short, he threatened my family. But he knew where I lived. Mm-hmm. You see? So, as an officer, sometimes it's not just about you where you live, per se. It's really protecting your family. Mm-hmm. And it's not you thinking about you all the time. You have to think about others in your family. So sometimes that's another way you look at it. It's not just, well, I don't want to work in the city or I don't want to work here. It's just that 
I'm thinking about my family. Yeah, that's a very valid point. I've actually even heard one of the sergeants in the police union say something to the same effect. Like mm-hmm. she arrested a, she arrested a, a guy and then he saw her in the grocery store, right? Mm-hmm. That's a very awkward situation. I I personally can understand that, right? It happened to me. I arrested a, a mid-level dope dealer once. Mm-hmm. And I was with my, my kids were small. They were like six and seven, six and nine. They're two years apart. And this was, I'm aging myself because it was blockbuster video. Ah. Right? <laughs> so we were in the line. The wife was with me, the kids, and he just came up. She always, this is when I first became officer. She always told me, why you got to bring your gun? Why you got to bring your gun? I'm like, well, I'm supposed to, you know? And so this guy was like, man, I know you from somewhere. So I'm, <laughs> I'm ushering them out yeah, and yeah. calling them. And the long story short, he, it was when I got outside. I said, "See, that's this guy I arrested just less than a month ago. He didn't recognize me out of uniform. You know, what if he had come at recognized me now and wanted to do something, right. and I don't have my weapon on me to defend my family or myself?" That's yeah, and I, and I completely understand that point. I think for me though, ninety six percent is kind of high, yeah. right? Because then you have no sort of community feel. You know what I'm saying? You're, 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 you're policing them. Even in the videos that came out, you could hear the way they were talking about, like, I have a long-standing thing where I always say, I don't believe that the officers of Minneapolis like the citizens of Minneapolis, right? Which is a terrible thing for your citizens to feel about their police force. If that's the case, then what are we doing here? Because then you don't get people feeling comfortable enough to tell you things, right? And then in general, it's like you come in almost like you're afraid or like you are treating them like others or enemies. Yeah, I agree. But again, I disagree because not all officers are the same. Right. It's like myself. When I approach a car and it's what the F you want or what, what's going on. You know, when I get that, mm-hmm. when you don't know me, you just see the uniform. A lot of times people see the uniform. They don't see the person. Mm-hmm. And I, ergo, I'm the same person that, 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 um, this one apartment I used to work at then I do things for the kids. I do. Christmas stuff. We do Christmas things. I do a back to school drive with my motorcycle club. I do things like that. You know, um, mm-hmm. I had a lady once, an older lady, 80 years old and a husband. They actually run off these guys at the corner store. And one day I was driving and she flagged me down and she said, her husband came over to the vehicle and said, thank you. Thank you, Officer Walker. I said, thank for what? He said, thank. Now we could go to the store. Now we could sleep at night, you know? So not everybody in the neighborhood, you see? So not all officers are the same. I took my job as like it's it's something I wanted to do, something I enjoy doing, and I want to make a difference in our neighborhood. It wasn't my neighborhood because I don't live there, but I treat it like my neighborhood. This is my hood, and that's how I policed. Mm-hmm. You know how would I how would I want my mom to walk down the street? You know, and some officers don't do that. This apartment I work, they call you how you work with them animals. And it's mostly Hispanic wow. and black people. Mm-hmm. And these are the same, my fellow police officers were saying that. Mm. You see? So I looked at that like, wow, you know, animals, wow. You see? So again, I did, that's not my view. Right. That's that officer's view, you see? So again, it goes back to, um, we, I don't think it's fair to generalize that. That's your opinion basically on what you feel, you know? Right. It's, it's just one of the things where I could always, you know, again, speak for me and how I police. And there wasn't a lot of officers around me. I don't keep them around me. That type of, you know, because they're people too. Right. And you did mention something. Uh, Officer Walker is doing this really cool thing, raising uh, money for back-to-school supplies. If you guys want to donate, go to his Facebook page. I will put the link in the show notes. So, you guys, he's like probably about a thousand bucks short from his goal. Let's go ahead and get him over the top. Yeah, let's go ahead and do what we can and try to get him. He's raising money for back-to-school supplies for kids in Jamaica. I actually went to the Boys and Girls Club already. I donated 50 book bags there. I went to the Crisis um, 
Child Center. Yeah. And I donated another 50 there. Right. And I'm going to go to Warren's and take some there too. Oh, that's incredible. So, you know, it, it's, I'm, it started out that, but now I, I'm like, why, why just Jamaica, right? Right, right, right. You Where know, you can help out. Let's go to help out. That's incredible. You know? When we talked the last time, you were, we were saying, um, if you're not from a, a community or a neighborhood, it's hard to recognize when people are performing. Right. Yeah. Remember that concept of like a lot of times we put in we perform masculinity. Right. Or we perform blackness or like we perform tough guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you're from a neighborhood, if you're from a culture, you're like, I recognize what you're doing mm-hmm. and I got to buck up the same way. Mm-hmm. And But it's still it's a, it's a certain way you address it. You understand like, OK, I see, I see the mask you're wearing. Right. Yeah. Can you talk about that and, and why you feel I guess if you don't have it, you don't have it. Right. But what do you how important is that? In police? Well, I think it's very important. If I'm working in, say, I felt uncomfortable working in like white color neighborhood mm-hmm. because maybe because i grew up in new york and it was kind of rough areas of jamaica mm-hmm. queens and you know i wasn't in the gang or in a hood mm-hmm. per se mm-hmm. but i had to go to school there mm-hmm. so you had to develop that that facade that toughness right just right. to go to school right you know? so when you don't grow up around that i think it, it's a disadvantage you can't teach that you know if you got an officer like a better term a white officer right look what track where he came from you know, his mom, two, two, two family household, mid, you know, you know, maybe not rich, but well off or whatever. And went to college right after high school and probably didn't have to work. And mom paid for this, mom paid for that. So now he wants to be a police officer, right? And they stick him in the, in the hood. So he had to learn. Right. You have to learn that different language. Right. You know, I it's remember. Culture I, shock. Yeah, I remember. I told you that one time when I was a rookie, when um those guys I wanted to talk to, and they came over, and they just kind of brushed me off. Mm. And then the older officer comes around the court, and he said, "What the f? Get the f over here!" And they ran up to him, and then they, they came to me, get my information, and I left. He comes over and he says, "You need to listen to how these parents talk to them. If these kids are growing up, when Mama's mad." It's F-bombs and it's you dumb A and you mm-hmm. stupid mother, you know, stuff like that. So it's a learned behavior, right? That's so if how you're you like, mean business. Right. So that's how they know when you mean business. Mm-hmm. So me as an officer, my command voice, how they treat, taught you was, right. raise your voice, get over here. Now I'm meaning But there's no F-bombs. Mm-hmm. There's no you dumb A. There's no nothing em- like that. That emphasis. Right. Yeah. So- once that officer said it, they, the whole demeanor changed. Mm. The whole demeanor changed. That that brassness, that, oh, whatever, officer. They were like 15 years old, mm. you know? So yeah. that's how I learned that. And I brought that in my little tool chest, you know? So you have to, sometimes you have to use those words. And I think it's important. I think every weirdo knows, but like I think it's very important to acknowledge like policing is not an easy job it's not no it's not i mean few jobs are but policing especially there's all sorts of things which goes back to the training you were speaking of another thing we talked about before is as a civilian i don't get trained on how to deal with cops right Mm -hmm. but cops go to training and schools and deal with civilians right Mm -hmm. and then when there's an incident we say why did the civilian not wait well only one of us has a gun here you know what I'm saying? I expect the person with the gun to be more professional in that situation. What do you think about that? Well, it, it's it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Again, it goes back on, like, again, you go back in your training. Again, we're still humans. Yes. That's another thing that people kind of forget. Mm-hmm. When you put that uniform on, you don't take the humanness out of it. Mm-hmm. That also has to deal with, say, say, for instance, he's going through a divorce. He is... He's um he just had a death in the family, just like everybody else has, right? But he has to go put this uniform on and go to work, right? 
people could be insensitive. We had a person, we had an officer got shot. You know, he was real beloved officer and he got killed. And one day I was going to a person's house apartment and she said, that's why y'all getting killed. Mm. That was a friend of mine, like mm. like when I was a rookie, mm. you know, close friend. He brought me up. So right then, I, my my level went way up. Like, really? Why would you say that? Because shitty people are shitty people, regardless of Right. But the point is, mm. they look at us like we have a shield, that we just shield it off and right. it goes behind us. I see what you're saying, yeah. But we're still people, too. Mm-hmm. Because if I said that to her, I'd be insensitive, I'd Absolutely. be this, I'd be that. Absolutely. So why is it different for officers just because we're in uniform? Mm-hmm. And that's my point. It's like, we're people, too. Absolutely. So if you give me, if you give me the the the... The, the attitude or whatever, I'm going to have to go there with you. Mm. You, you see, mm. it's the part of training, right? Mm. It's like, all right, our use of force. Mm. My presence is the first use of force, right? Then it goes to my equipment so, or my voice, if reflection, all that is use of force. Me grab up to me, put my hands on you and grab your cuff. That's use of force all the way to deadly force. You see, I, I always hope I never go to deadly force. Mm-hmm. Been there quite, quite a few times, maybe mm-hmm. three or four times in my mm-hmm. career. And I knock on wood, pray to God that I never did. And I, I never had to shoot anybody. Mm-hmm. But the point is, I was brought there, you see. So it, it, we're still human. And that's another thing people don't understand. You know, it's still human. We're still a people. Just because we have the training, you, you're still human. Um, the first episode I ever did was about um, this long story short. I was in a meeting with a city councilman and a lieutenant for Minneapolis, right? He said that when he walks around, he walks around scared. And in my head, I'm like, you can't admit that yeah. to me, like civilian yeah. me. So you're telling me your default, when, yeah. like, what you do when you're walking around scared, you should not be... You should not be policing. Like that's dangerous. I believe that. I, and, I, I agree with you. Right. You shouldn't be policing. Like that's your get out of jail. Free. When if he shoots me, what are you gonna say? I was scared. I was scared but you always scared. But you're always scared. <laughs> so you should shoot everybody. Right. See, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. And another thing, I live by as an officer. Mm-hmm. All right. You don't know when it's your time. Right. You have kids getting shot in their bed. You have accident happening. That it's your. Once your time, your ticket is punched. It's your time. Mm-hmm. So I can't live in fear. I don't live in fear. You know, it's a and I don't. job to do if it's you want to live in fear. Exactly. <laughs> if you're living in fear, go be a, a, a secretary or, you know, or if you're a police officer, work behind the desk that you don't have to deal with people and mm-hmm. be scared. Mm-hmm. That's not the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you on that. If you're scared, you're scared. We all have fear. Don't Absolutely. get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you got to swallow that fear. You know, I've been in scrapes where I'm kicking in doors and I'm going into a house. You don't know what is coming. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's on the other side. We have all this is going in and getting shot on the way in. You see, so you got to swallow that because if I stall, surfaces, I'm kicking the door, I'm going in. If I stall and and at the beginning, what about my buddies behind me? That's a we call a fatal funnel right there. Yeah. You know, bullets coming through. You're most likely going to get hit, so, so you got to clear it. it. Yeah. Get in, bank left, bank right, or whatever. Right, and move. You can't go there, so you can't be scared. You know, you can't. We were taught approach every car stop like it's your last think about that for a minute approach every car stop like it's your last why because you don't know what's in the car that guy could just rob the bank he could have just killed the f- a whole family had a partner a, a, a class member probability though he probably just a regular guy right but we have to see that's you that's your lane you could do that you mm-hmm. you have the you could live like that but we can't mm-hmm. not say I, I, I get i get what you're saying you're saying because you don't know, you yeah. have to treat it like the yes. worst case scenario. Right. You can't have your your level down. You have to 
keep on your training. We had an officer get killed okay. once. Do you believe in warrior training? Or if warrior training is like the idea that you treat everything as a threat? No, no, I don't believe in okay. I don't believe in that type. Okay. What I'm saying is, all right, when I teach the guard and in the army, okay. the first thing I say, hands kill, right? So when I approach my car, I'm seeing looking at hands. Roughly. I'm still gonna be that same person. Hey, how are you doing? I'm also walking. Da, da, da. Bam. But I I'm see. looking at hands, right? Because right. that's my safety. Some officers let their guard down because they do it all the time. I see what you're saying. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So Reduce but the likelihood he, that he would Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And it's all about that's what I'm saying. When I when I say approach every car like it's your last, your training is important. Right. We're not trained to just go, la, 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 la. Hey, how you doing? You know? I think an important thing that you said there, too, is that even though I'm putting on a professional, friendly face to the mm-hmm. civilian, in my head, I'm still going through yes. my, my entire checks, yeah. right? Yep. And which is like your poker face. You yes. know what I'm so that's that's super important. Um, another important thing you said was the idea that there's a human behind the uniform. Mm-hmm. I think, again, this officer I talked to uh, in that meeting, he he called it. A, he said, I wear a costume, but when I take it off, you know, I'm a regular guy, which is, a, I think, a common refrain that cops say like this a costume or but um to me that's very important I, I think that one of the most or one of the poorest things that you can do in that sense then is like support a movement or create a movement like blue lives matter right because again you're saying your clothing is somehow equivalent to a black life because that's exactly what it's a direct response to right black lives matter was created and then blue lives matter was created in response well, to that well actually blue lives matter blue life or blue was always there absolutely yeah. like blue, green and the like, army yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But Blue Lives Matter, Matter directly, the blue stripe on the American flag, which is kind of desecration of the American flag. We'll talk about that another day. Um, that was a direct response to Black Lives Matter. Do you think that's a good movement? Do you support the movement? What do you, you probably support the sentiment behind it, right? Like you, your brotherhood, right? right, they, right. There's what they call it, the blue wall or whatever. Blue, blue wall of silence or. Right. Do you think that is silence. that sort of culture of the blue wall of silence? For instance, earlier you were saying you heard people refer to black and brown people as animals. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of people we don't want in a police force. Mm-hmm. Do you think the idea of a blue wall of silence absolutely makes it difficult to get those people out of place? And if so, how, how do we correct that? Well, I know that's a lot. It's, well, it's there, but it's there for protection in a way. It's like the solidarity between, because in a way, it's sometimes us against them. Who's them when though? I say that, yeah, us against the public, because we're so we're one of the most hated profession almost out there as a you part, think especially so? you now. Think by and large, especially now, especially now. Wow. Okay, so I would disagree with you on that one. Well, because I, I think that there are pockets, and even like so, for instance, in, in Minneapolis, you would call the most dangerous part of Minneapolis, quote unquote, dangerous part mm-hmm. of Minneapolis, North Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. People in North Minneapolis value police, just not when they kill them. You know what I'm saying? So, like, by and large, people give police the benefit of the doubt all the time. Like, in almost every instance, you know, the cop said this, that's what must have happened. And then the, the video comes out, it's like, oh, he lied. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Which is something that happens, like, frequently. So by and large, I think that people love cops. I think that they dislike when cops do bad things. And then the response to those bad things is, now we got to buckle down. So, for instance... In the military, we don't have like a green wall of silence. Part of that is because we don't have a union the way the police union does. Um, for better or for worse, we don't have our pensions tied to a police union tied to whatever. You know, like I guess I ask the same question a different way. Do you think the police union plays a part in creating a sort of a toxic culture of that blue wall of silence? And it depends on where the police union was. Mm-hmm. Like Houston, their union is not the strongest union. Mm-hmm. It's not a union state. Mm-hmm. You have places like Boston, New York, where these 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 police forces are, are 
older than, than you know. Maybe it's go interesting, by. though, because I don't know this for a fact or not. I'm just perception. I don't hear Houston in the news a lot nationally as far as poor policing goes. Right. A strong union like that. Is that good or bad? Well, do you feel like the performance? It's good and bad. I'm gonna say this: as an from an officer, I think it's it's it's, it's good and bad. Being in um from okay from a non-union standpoint, certain department you are guilty before and then proven innocent. If I perfect Joe, you complained about this this guy did A, B, and C. Okay, they run the gambit. That's the green light for for the IAD to go and investigate everything. They check your extra job permit. They do this. They do that. And they, it's like they have to find something, regardless of what you complained about. Right? This is non-union. This, well, we have a union. They okay. have a union, but it's 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 not like say New York City, New York City, Philly. These old departments where there's stronger union. The, but the unions you're naming are some of the most notoriously poor police departments. L.A., New York. Those are some of the most notoriously bad police departments in the country. Right. But it, I'm just talking about say. To, to, to protect that officer because absolutely because again if he didn't do something he didn't do what he what you why why chastise him and give him days off for for over here what he didn't do right because say for instance in the military we so much rules right mm-hmm. so if you fracture a few rules here and there right and then they have these articles that's that's not named or whatever mm-hmm. so they hit you with those too so yeah. same thing in the police right so Unsound judgment. What does that mean, right? Yeah, unsound judgment. It's just, it's a catch-up, yeah. right? Like I can't get you, you for what the person said, so I'm hit you with unsound judgment. You didn't behave in the best of... Right. right. Okay. So these are things I'm saying. So sometimes the union, that's the good thing about union. If you have a stronger union, they can't just kind of jump on the officer for for, for first things like that. And what's crazy... And that's what I'm talking about. That part. Right. You know. What's wild is like, for me, I love unions. Like, and every, I wish there was a union in every facet, every industry in American life, because all the greatest labor strides we've ever had in this country are because of unions. No one wants to give you anything unless you collectively organize, right? Organize and fight for it. It's such a shame because the police union, I I can't even say this out loud. I love (laughs) like how they fight for their officers, like, because in any industry, that's what you would want. At the very same time, I hate that they fight for their officers. Like, like, if somebody is a trash, everything is not for everybody. Like, I, so many times in the military, you'll meet somebody and you're like, yo, this is just not for you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's kind of why it's hard to be a recruiter. You know, it's like, I know I can't tell you to do this because I don't believe you'd be good at this. Everything is not for everybody. And it's the same thing I'd imagine in policing. Like, there's just some guys like, listen, maybe you're the fittest, maybe you're smart, but this ain't for you because you don't get the people side of it. You don't right. get the public relations side of it. You don't get that this is a community and you need to be a part of it. Whatever, for whatever reason. But we got to get you out the paint. And I agree with you. And, and it's hard to do. It's impossible to do that. You just answered the question, basically. And that's my point. It, it's good and it's bad, right? Because it's good when, the, like I said, those complaints and you stand up for that officer. No, that's wrong. Right. Whatever. Right? And then the bad part is when you got an officer that clearly did something outlandish. And you're still supporting them and still, you know. But it's not just a union. It's individual officers who, who contribute to like, it's rare to find an officer who will step up and be like, yo, that was shitty. I can't support that. I've done that before. I've actually stepped up. And it's but also dangerous, right? It's dangerous because now that officer will tell his buddies, he's not going to tell them the whole truth. He's going to tell them whatever they're going to think in that culture, right? right? So now you get called on a... a, a, a Whatever, you call out for help. Let's say that. You know, you get called out for help. A hey, cold one, you officer need assistance. That means everybody coming. If I say officer need assistance, get there. Get there, like right. yesterday, right? So 
What if there's an officer around the corner that you just, that's one of the cronies of the friend of the other guy that right. I, I, me and him got into it. He did something and I said, Hey, that's not cool. So now they pull back. Your life is in danger. Right. So now that could lead to me either get hurt or me hurting as a citizen. See, but that's so unique to that, to that culture. That's one of the things I find so fascinating. There is no in the military. Yes. When I deploy, there's no way somebody's going to tell me they need help and because they snitched on me to the colonel, yeah. I'm going to be like, you know, I'm not sure. No, we, I'm going, I'm getting your back. Because you're a genuine person. I'm the same way. So, But I think that's so unique to policing, the idea that people act like that. What is it about? Well, it's the, still the human side. It's, it goes back to the human side. You know, like you said, that job is not for everybody. Right. I wanted to be an officer since I was a kid. Right. I wanted to be in the military since I was a child. So, so this is what I'm bringing. I'm doing, I used to tell people I'm playing cops and robbers. You know, you, you're a kid, you play cops and robbers. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's actually fun mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. you know, to help people to, when, when a person say thanks, as rare as it might be, but you know, you <laughs> See, feel. See, I think that you people, know? you don't feel like people show you gratitude enough? Not enough. Oh, wow. It's not enough. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, by far, I'm not doing my job for you to save me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Accolade, but, but still, gratitude but still, feels good. It feels good. Right. Like I said, I remember that. Almost 18 years ago, and that young, that lady, that older lady said, thank you. I still feel that, you know, like it was yesterday, you know. So when I, when I, when I, something like that, right. you know, so. It, it, so. it shapes your whole paradigm for policing. Yeah. I want to play a little game real quick. I'm making you the chief of police for the United States of America. Oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, I want to know what are the first three things you institute to reform policing, to make it a more fair, equitable, just occupation. What are you doing? Well. I have a problem with narcotics in the black community. Absolutely. I, I, I think it's, you know, uh, the last I've checked, I don't see a lot of black folks having planes, trains, submarines, but yet and still, the dope, yet and still <laughs> the dope gets in the black neighborhoods, mm-hmm. right? So, give you a case in point. I always give stories to tell you my reason mm-hmm. or what I'm saying. I was on the tactical unit and I was riding with a sergeant and we got a guy, we bust, good bus. He came out. Bob because he's walking, got him, got a little weed on him. This is when weed was more legal, illegal, right? But, and he had like $4,000 on him, right? So I'm like, hey, we could seize that, right? Now for him to show that he has a job, he's a dope dealer. I know the house. We go there all the time. But they call this thing called fishing in the barrel. Mm. So when I said to Sarge, all right, we're going to take this money. We call narcotics and have them send a CI in there. And within a week or two, two weeks, they'll raid team and bust it, clean up the, clean up the house. No, we want to miss, we don't want to lose the fishing hole. But it's in the black neighborhood, right? So you're going to keep the dope house in that black neighborhood so you could fish at Keep it. getting there. Damn. You see? So that's one of the things that got to go, right? The tactical units, they got to go. Um, Okay. Yeah, yeah that's sorry. fishing in the. That has to go. Yeah, for sure. It's a black neighborhood. Let's clean it up. The point is, if we get knock one down, we get another one pop up. Two more pops up. It's, it's just what it is. Dope is in this country for years. It's not going to go away. Um, they're taking away the, the 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 boys and girls. We. I remember when I first like got pal. on. Yeah, we used to go to Pal and we used to do. That's gone. it's big in Philly, like that was right. But yeah. in in certain states, it's gone. Mm-hmm. So now you're. You have the officers here, and then even the kids growing up, they listen to mama. I one day I was in the the apartment, gang members that are shooting. One guy got killed. We're out there. We had nothing to do with it. We weren't even there. We came there after. Well, this lady upstairs, 
She had like a two, three year old. And she was telling him to say F the police, F the police. So we don't get this kid in pal where we could, he could see the police a different light. He sees the police only when I'm coming to take mama to jail mm. or daddy to jail for beating up mama or whatever. Mm. So he's grown with F the police. And the only time he sees us is, is on the bad end. He never sees us playing ball with him. Um, you know, just, just one-on-one talking and okay. whatever. That needs to change. Okay. Okay. You're taking us away from that. And um, I really feel that education on the civilian side or what police does need to change because a lot of citizens don't re- don't know that there's a, a a citizen police department where they could go and get a like a kind of a dumb I wouldn't say dumb down but a more instead of the six months training it's more like a couple of weeks a weekend a month mm-hmm. and you kind of learn what police can and can't do or what why they do certain things so now you have more knowledge to know how to act when you get pulled over by the police or what that officer should be doing when he stops you. You follow what I'm saying? Mm. And what procedures to take when he acts that way, okay? Complaints, they don't go away. A lot of mm. people think they'll go home and they'll tell mama, the, the uncle Tom, uncle this from whatever. And that's who they complain to. Right. They don't complain to where it needs to complain because complaints don't go away. Right. You made that point before. You said it's important to if you have an issue to bring it up to ID to, to, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. To the you complain because it never goes away. Because most of your police departments are policed by your citizens. By the, uh, there's a, a civilian entity that looks at all these complaints. All right, called person concerns. Right. Mm-hmm. So if this officer gets all these complaints, it pings them, sends them a little message. Hey, we need to look into this. It so means IID. No, no. The citizens, the citizen oh, okay. part, the um, person concerns. It goes there and they'll actually pull all the officers' um, complaints and they look what they're looking for pattern. If it's abuse or it's this or it's whatever, right? right? And they're looking for this pattern. What they do is they'll look at it. If, it, if they find a pattern, they'll suggest the officer, they take all the side, side jobs. They'll, they'll um, probably recommend it for retraining. Right. Okay. And then boom. And this, if it happens again, they're probably recommended for getting fired or whatever. But those are, but that comes from complaints. See, we're not complaining. Okay. Or we don't know that we, these complaints actually go somewhere. That's interesting you say that because I know a lot of the time when these cops, let me speak specifically to Minnesota, end up having an issue. When you go look at their record, there's tons of complaints, but no one does anything. It gets lost in arbitration. Right. Um, so, even a police chief could give you a punishment. That punishment goes to arbitration, and the arbitrator is probably on somebody's payroll and is like, actually, no, that doesn't count. And they're right back on the streets. Well, it goes back to your politics, and I guess more like your union gets involved in that, too, and all that. So that's where you have your, your stronger unions. They get to do that. But what that the complaint still helped was, say that officer, Minneapolis with the knee on the neck or whatever. Right. That's how they get them. I feel you. You feel me? Yep. Because they, they look. Now they, they bring in all this stuff in court. Well, dang, he gets this, this, and this, and this, and nothing happened to him. So now that's where a lot of heads fall. Right. It's like, how could you how could this How could he get this? But it still starts with the complaint, right? If there's no complaints, you throw your shoulder up and be like, uh, you know, this must be his first time. So sometimes the officers get off on stuff because we don't do our job to make complaints. As citizens. As citizens. And police officers. Right. So then it, it, it gets like brushed under the, you know, when he actually does something like hits the news or, or, or something really bad, drastic, they look back at his record. Oh, it's squeaky clean. He's this never been in trouble. Yeah. It's just, this is, he must have been a mistake. So where are citizens? We need to do that too or learn that we need to do that. 
you know, we need to learn that. Not a lot is power, right? That's so true. if we don't know, we don't know, right? But right. I'm telling you, <laughs> go to the, the, the police department, your major police department, and see if they have a, even a ride-along program. And go ride with the officers and kind of look outside. I used to always say, look outside my windshield. Right. Because looking at my windshield is different than looking at your windshield. Absolutely. Because I'm seeing when people see me, they're throwing dope in their mouth. They're putting on seatbelts. They're doing all <laughs> that, right? Because you see that, right? Right. But in your window, you're not a police. Right. So I'm not putting on my seatbelt when I see you riding. You see? So that's the thing. Do a ride along. Find out about the police um, academy if they have a program for citizens. Get right. more involved. All right. I like those three things. I'm going to give you three, and you tell me what you think about it. Right? Okay. So I'm going to turn to play. All right. So the first thing I would do, I think that it is absolutely insane that a cop, an officer, would kill a citizen, and then the city would have to settle with that family. I think that the cop, the officer, should have to carry personal insurance, and that be what's used to pay off families. What do you think about that? Huh. Well, it's not a bad idea, I guess. Because <laughs> the city drops you in the grease anyway. Even if it's a good shooting or not. Um, I've been involved with a shooting guy trying to hit me with a car. And <laughs> I pulled my weapon out, gave him some warnings, and he, he came forward instead of hit reverse. I know when I look down, I see park, reverse, neutral, drive, right? He chose to go past reverse, <laughs> neutral, and then hit drive to come at me. So I'm thinking, hey, you mean business, so I'm showing you I mean more business. Right? <laughs> okay. You know? Right. So um the thing long story short, mm. the way they treat you, that I was my gun was taken, they looked at how many rounds that fired. I had to go down the um ID came out, um, um the CSU guys, they they came take pictures, you know, all that and I still go to homicide and, and write a statement of what happened and all this. So, and I didn't, I missed the guy came at me. I kind of like shot, shot and ran. Did the city pay out for that? No, well, I didn't shoot him. I right. didn't shoot him, but I'm saying how we we're being treated on right. that end, right. you know? So just to show you what the city does to you, you know, they, they do this while well, I'm training them. And that's the first thing. So it also feels on the island. You get to Except shoot for his union. Yeah. Or his. Right, the union comes, the rep comes out, or whatever. But this is—it's just a process, and you still feel like you're alienated. You're like, you know. I just—I just feel that it would—it would even help because I—I—I I don't know this for a fact. I don't—I don't remember the, the pots of money, but there's a defense fund for whenever an officer does a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. And all that affects good officers. If a good officer needs that pot of money to take a defense, he can't get that because Derek Chauvin just ate the whole pot. You know what I'm saying? So I just feel like, and as also I shouldn't be paying for shitty performance. So if you're doing your job poorly and it's like, I think the city of Minneapolis shelled out 27 million, something crazy like that to the family. I think it was the second highest or the highest in, mm-hmm. in, in history. And um, weirdos fact check me on that one. But um, that's money that could be going to roads and schools and, you know what I'm saying, bridges, infrastructure, things yeah, that can help the city I, I be a better city. You. You know? And I think it's a good idea. Right. But you So know. we're one for one right now. We're one for one right now. All right, here's my second one. Qualified immunity. I think it needs to go away. What do you think? Why would you change that? You wouldn't change that. Hmm. Why? Well, if you do, if you're in your heart feeling you're doing the correct thing, and that's how you're trained. I said, why why change that, right? That comes after, right? It's just like your role versus Wade and all the other stuff you go about, Miranda's and all that. <clears throat> Before Miranda, they could do whatever they we do whatever we wanted, more or less, right? Mm. So it has to be a statute that somebody has to challenge it, right? Because 
if you were trained one way and the law said you could do it this way, what's wrong with what they're doing? So let me give you the official definition. So okay. Qualified immunity is a defense that law enforcement and other government officials can raise in response to lawsuits seeking monetary damages for alleged civil rights violations. Unless the plaintiff can show an officer violated a clearly established right, meaning a court already declared similar behavior in a previous case to be unconstitutional, the officer can't be held liable. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't agree. I think, I think that should be stayed the same. Because, again, my answer is going to be the same. The road versus Wade, the Miranda's, they were fine. It was all good before that, right? Until a person has happened and then it was challenged and then went down to, you know, and, and it, there's a process, right? So I don't think that should change. Okay. So I'm one for two with you right now. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, again, this is the word away. So we're just going to, I'm not going to push back too much. You know, we're having a discussion. It's not a debate. So I'm one for two right now. And my third one would be I would make it. Um, mandatory for your degrees and one and leave and the use of le- less lethal rounds. What do you think of that? Mm, the first one, the first part of it. Um, again, I didn't. I don't have four years degrees. Right. I have military. Right. And my background. Well, I guess I should say equivalent experience. I would, so I'd say military would be one of those things that yeah. you kind of have equivalent experience. Right. So I'm, I'm saying like if you're an you know, MP or if you are you know, military trained, like I would say that's equivalent experience. But yeah, I, I but I, I, I add to that though. Okay. I think I think um, like these officers, like I said before, in the white neighborhoods and they're going to police in the black neighborhoods. Right. They should come up with another a class to I want to say it's like cultural awareness. Cultural awareness. We had the class, but it's like a day or eight hours. I was gonna say because what good is the training if, yeah. if it's like just like a check the box? Yeah, it's know? just it's just that. Yeah, we did the seek. We had the black community come in. A pastor came in. We had the Asian, the hearing impaired. You know, we had like five or six came in. That was it. So is that really cultural awareness? If you're gonna stick this person into. Predominantly black or Hispanic neighborhood, and his culture is predominantly white, right? That you don't see crime. The crime rate is real low where he's from, and you thrust him into this high crime area. Shell shock, culture shock, right? So now you, it's just like that officer that you spoke to that said he's scared all the time, right? So now you have an officer scared all the time, right? Whereas if I know, like we said before, I know it's a pantomime you're playing when you the loud mouth talking or whatever, right? So I'm going to get louder with you, show you, hey, I'm not scared of you. Two dogs barking, okay? So that I said, I'll add to what you're talking about. I'd add that to that. I'm not disagree with you. Okay. I'm just saying that I think that should be part of it. Okay. So I'm going to call that two for three, and I'm going to add a bonus one. <laughs> I think that a city's budget should be proportional policing to preventative. Like, in my opinion, policing is a reactive thing. I agree with you. And the money should be in the proactive things, right? So if the school budget is tiny mm-hmm. and the police budget is astronomical, especially in these big cities, mm-hmm. that's, there's a problem there. There's a disconnect there. There's not enough work being done on the proactive, whether it be social work, um, mental health, things where we, we make police do too much. Yes. You know, we make them do be we're everything. We're dog catchers. For, we're, yes. We're everything. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yes. I say it as a joke, but yeah. I've had to... Like watch a dog keep him contained <laughs> because he's going around the neighborhood biting feet people. I'm not. Go, I don't want to go out there and put myself and shoot a dog. So literally, I have to call 
animal control, and they're on the other side of town. Right. So I'm sitting there for two hours watching this dog, and I back him in the corner. When he moves, I hit my horn, and you know, <laughs> I felt like a fool out there. But that happened. And that is, to you me, know? ridiculous. I think it's unfair to officers. Yeah, you right. unfair, And I think that it, it adds to the stress, and then you already, then you get into these even stressful situations, actual stressful situations, and you've already been tired out by this dog all day. <laughs> so I think that we, I know this is a controversial term, but hear me out. Not okay. not defund the police, okay. but reallocate some of the money so that it's not, we don't have the cops doing everything. If you have the cops doing everything, then yeah, they need that money because you have them being counselors, drug addiction specialists, everything. everything. That's not fair to anybody. They didn't go to school to that. They didn't get trained for that. Well, let me throw Take something at you. Yeah. Let me throw something at you. They throw money at the proactive teams, the proactive squads, the burglaries, this and that, and all that. But Wait, why do you call them proactive squads? Because that's all we do. We don't answer a call for service. We don't. If you call the police, we're not going to come to your house for that. Oh, they're like investigative squads. You're saying? Yeah, we we like burglary. I target burglars. That's all I did. I listened to the nine one one hang up, the the alarm calls, and that's when I that's what I did. Okay, went to those calls, suspicious vehicles. These are calls I take. It's not, I'm not, I, or I just drive around, see a suspicious vehicle. Hey, run this plate. Follow them. I was in, I, I dressed down, get in the cool car, you know, truck, whatever. And just drive around there, but we got, we, we got stats. That's nothing. Stats, right? Next, this month, we, this area was hit X amount of time. So we're just going and saturated. We've sent two or three unmarked vehicles in that neighborhood and we just drive around. Suspicious vehicle. Hey, run this plate. It doesn't belong in the neighborhood. I get a probable cost to stop it. Boom. And, and that's kind of our presence because when I call in, officers come in, they stop the car. It's nothing but what you just did was if he was a burglar, which we don't know, but if that person was a burglar, he's just driving around aimlessly. I go on two blocks, three blocks, four blocks. Okay. Run the plate. Okay. I get my PC. We stop him. What are you doing? Oh, I'm looking for something. Okay. Fine. Do you think? If it was a burglar, what you just did, and I'm getting out of here, it's hot. So they, they leave the area. Mm. My issue with policing like that, especially Lil Wayne has this verse where he's like, they only know the drugs in the hood because they ride in the hood all day instead of riding around Edina. You can't tell, or Edina, a suburb, right? You can't tell me that like in the suburbs, they don't steal or do drugs at the same rate as like in the hood. But if you're in the hood all day, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get. I disagree on that. Mm. I say we draw attention to ourselves sometimes with what mm. we do. And I'm going to give you a for example. And not to say that only black people exist in the no, hood. No, right? no, well, but I'm, I'm going by, again, what I've experienced. Right, in right? your city. Yeah. Right. Okay. They were pushing all the, the old houses out and making these yuppie big apartments. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, gentrification, yep. right? So- one day, I was working this hole-in-the-wall little little club, and guy calls me, and he goes, so why are these officers always fucking with us? Why are they messing with us? And I stopped. I said, come here. Let me show you something. See that building over there? It's a new place. Mostly white people go there, whatever. I said, look what look what's happening over there. We don't have the music banging, the, the hood going up and down, the things that's breaking the law, but it's still against the law. Let me finish. Right? We don't. I looked down the block. I said, look down the block. What do you see? I see people running in the car two seconds, do the hand chains and go. That's what I'm seeing. They're selling dope there. My point is they could have a mountain of coke in that place, right? But they don't give us a probable cause to go there, right? You're giving us the uh, the probable cause to, to, mess with you, to mess with you because that's what you're doing. You're doing it in the open. Mm. You see, that's the thing. That's the difference. And it was right two blocks away. We're talking two blocks away. You look down there. There's nobody stopping traffic, right? Some of you dope. There's no woman on the corner. It's, this is it's just plain and simple, right there in your face. That's the difference. Two blocks that way, and two. Why can't? Why are we doing it here? 
and they're not doing it there. Now, I'm not saying that they're not selling dope there, right? But they're not drawing attention to themselves if they're doing it. That's the big difference. Why are we drawing attention to ourselves? Why are you in a, in a, in a black neighborhood, right? So you live in a black neighborhood. You don't work, but you drive the biggest car, the biggest jewelry on. You're not a rapper. You're not a sports figure. So where are you making your money? You're bringing attention to yourself. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying you're right or wrong or whatever, right? But you are bringing attention to yourself. So what's going to happen? The, 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 what do you say? The squeaky wheel gets the oil? That's who gets the attention, right? And, and that's, that's what we need to think about. Hmm. Just think about it for a minute, all right? Okay. And that's all I'm saying. All right. You know? This is the word away. I'm not going to push back on that too much, right. you know what I'm saying? We like the difference of, yeah. the, the difference of opinions, you know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Um, all right, so we got about six minutes left. So I'm going to just ask some questions that you just like rapid fire, you know? But you were talking about it earlier. What are some things you think civilians should understand about policing to keep themselves safe? Okay. The same things you, you see in your um, your driver's handbook. Little things. Well, I used to see a lot as women. They, when the police light comes on, they're reaching. They reach for their purse. They reach, men reach for in the back pocket. They're reaching in the glove. Like we see all these movements, right? My flag goes higher every time I see a movement. Are you reaching for a weapon or are you just reaching for your ID? All right. When I get stopped, because I've been stopped, right? Because I, I do kind of speed sometimes, right? <laughs> so I get stopped. My hands are 10 and 2, right? My windows come down. Because I want that officer's flag to stay way down here where it's supposed to be, right? Because you don't know, you know what officer you're getting, right? You don't know if you're getting that officer, like I said before, that don't have the same training or, or didn't, didn't come from that hood, right? So you don't know what you have, right? You don't know if you had the officer that you mentioned that's always scared, correct? Right. So why add stuff to that, right? Why reach, you know? You don't even know what officer stopped you for, right? I don't know why you reaching. Again, you know, I had a classmate. Stopped the car. They just robbed someplace. When he, when, what faced him was a sawed off shotgun when he came up to the car. You see? Okay. So my second question is, what would you tell police officers to do in order to report quote unquote bad apples to, to get them? When you see something untoward, something bad, misconduct, what would you tell them to do to overcome their fear and report it? Well, I would say make it more almost anonymous. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it's always your backup. You're only a percentage of the population as a police officer, right? Is have only like 5,500 officers. And look how big the city is, right? So when you look at that, it's still outnumbered, correct? So now if you make it where the officer, okay, say I go to my captain, I, I drop a complaint, right? Now it comes out that I dropped the complaint. Like again, I told you, he's gonna tell his story. And what are they what are his cronies or his friends gonna believe? They're gonna believe his story. So now you gotta worry about your back there. And and you're a good officer, you do your job and you just want to, you know, do the right thing. And so you now you you you're 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 kinda tackled with that. I would say if it's more anonymous, for instance, like say a special witness, you know, type of thing, and it could handle on that level. I think that would work because now you don't have to worry about, say, my safety. I'm the breadwinner for my family. I'm gone now. I'm hurt. Who's going to take care of my family? Okay. All right, you guys. That is Officer Rohan Walker. Um, great conversation. Uh, we had a conversation earlier, and I knew I needed you on the podcast. <laughs> so, like, I'm I'm really happy that you came. We're open. And last, oh, lastly, I have a question. 
So for me personally, I feel like the MPD is beyond reform. I think it can't be reformed. I think that the culture is just too toxic, too poor. I don't think they appreciate. They don't. They don't. They don't have any sort of pride in the city of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, the only thing I, I, I got from MPD was the the the, the knee and the neck that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I really don't know. So it wouldn't be fair for me to say, but. You from there? I, th- I, I think I. I mean, you're you're a stand up guy, and I think if you're, I'll go with your opinion because I don't know. Right. You see, so um, you know, like we used to say, when you play a video game, somebody you have to reset and start over, and maybe that'll build from the ground up, and you build it, you know, better, something better. That's you the know? most beautiful analogy I've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> about reforming the police. But again, that's obviously Rohan Walker. Um, again, you guys should go to his Facebook page. He's raising money for back-to-school supplies for kids less fortunate than we are, and it's a great cause. Um, I'll put the link in the show bio. And thanks for your time. I really appreciate Anytime, it. Man. I'm going to say one thing. You impressed me from the first time I met you. you you're, you're real spoken, and you're passionate about what you're doing. And, and, and actually, I think this will help, too. Education is the key. Conversations like this will, if it reach one person, that's one person that we just saved. That's one person that could spread it to somebody else. Mm. Hey, man, let's try this police thing, he said. Let's go out there and see, you know. So, yeah, I think you you do a great job. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right, right, weirdos. That's it. Out. (laughs) Blow up, blow up, shabba. Blow up, blow up, blow up, blow up, blow up. After the mother pop, yo, man, make sure you listen to the Bumbuckler Radio Wave Plus class. You know me, I say, real, real Bumbuckler thing. You get the full thing, yeah, so anything you want, we give you the true, the authentic messages. We now want nothing back. Blow up, blow up, blow up, more fire. Burn it, burn it, burn it. Here we go again. Same old shit again. Another Minneapolis resident murdered by the Minneapolis Police Department. And make no mistakes, Amir Locke was murdered. Amir Locke was murdered. Amir Locke was murdered. And I was going to start by recounting his life story as told by his mama. He was her pride and joy. He just launched an LLC and was ready to go dream chasing his love of music. And he loved giving back to the community. In the meantime, he did DoorDash. And <laughs> how relatable is that? Like, I did DoorDash, but I hated it because people expect me to drive 14 miles uphill to bring them their damn value meal. And only tip me $1.50. Base pay from DoorDash is like $2, <laughs> depending when you on road. But it gives me a chance to listen to audiobooks and make some extra travel money. So it's tolerable. But still, DoorDash is wild, exploitative. But we do what we must do in service of the almighty Lord, capitalism. <laughs> I digress. Um... I hate having to canonize a victim in order to make people feel like they shouldn't be a victim. <laughs> and you could be a shitty ass human being and still not deserve to die, you know? Like, not all the dead are worthy of sainthood. Like, it makes me feel so icky. It's akin to respectability politics, and I hate respectability politics. <laughs> like, I get it. And oftentimes it could be very well intentioned, especially when you hear from black elders of a different time. But ultimately, it's gross. Just so we're on the same page, Wikipedia kind of defines it as black individuals today who gain status and rights by adhering to hedge hegemonic standards of what it means to be respectable. (laughs) I call it pull your pants up politics. And you could hear Officer Walker kind of allude to it when he was talking about we draw attention to ourselves with big cars and jewelry. Ultimately, though, that logic kind of falls flat because, well, one, adhering to those standards of homogeneous respectability, a.k.a. white respectability, doesn't really save you because, you know, Amir Locke was all those things. No criminal record, business owner, not even the person they were looking for on the warrant. Again, not even a crime on his past. Put your pants up, politics didn't save him, did it? And two, 
None of those things are cause to cancel my humanity or rights. The way you interpret how I choose to express my blackness has everything to do with you to include your fear of it, which you are entitled to as long as it stays superficial. Hell, your brain makes those shortcuts whether you like it or not. So how you process hoodie chains or loud music is you. But not being aware, acknowledging, or fighting to overcome and correct it is when it starts affecting people's humanity. It starts endangering their livelihood. And in the case of Amir Locke, cost them their lives. I don't even really want to dive into the MPD blatantly lying to us and me being able to tell you that from the moment the press conference was called and being validated as soon as the body cam footage was released, then Chief Huffman and Mayor Fry had to retract their lie of a report and then subsequently run from common sense questions from the community. Hashtag transparency though. Lying to us, the people they serve about these atrocities makes it all the more malicious. And the response of Mayor Fry would be laughable, at the very least, political cliche, if it didn't feel so politically criminal that he would announce a moratorium on no-knock warrants after calls for his resignation. After campaigning on one of his crown achievements being that he ended no-knock warrants last year, y'all. So basically, his response was to ban something that he had already banned that if it was actually banned would have saved a life. And call me crazy, but when I think of like no-knock warrants, I think of like going to get Pablo Escobar or, you know, some big El Chapo and they got a bunch of henchmen outside and like, <laughs> and like, you don't know if the hunters are going to shoot you. So you want to sneak up on them or like they're a flight risk or something. They might run up to the helicopter. So you want to sneak up on them before they can get to the helicopter, you know, like big shit, not regular old civilian homes or apartments where a bullet could go through the wall and kill somebody else innocent on the other side. Like maybe wait for the person you're looking for to walk outside of the Bolero flash before you arrest them. When I say shit like the MPD is beyond reform, I'm not just talking shit. I'm making common sense observations. Because what good is reform without a culture that instills it, rather less follows it? The same scenario got Darnella Frazier, the hero who recorded the murder of George Floyd with otherworldly bravery, it got her uncle killed. In that scenario, Mayor Fry tells us that he banned high-speed chases through Minneapolis residential neighborhoods. Because this is real life and not Grand Theft Auto, so of course that would make sense. And a little while later, you won't believe this. MPD does a high-speed chase of a suspect through a residential neighborhood, the same type that Mayor Fry just told us that he banned. And he kills an innocent driver, brother, uncle, Minneapolis resident Laniel Lamont Frazier. Asks Mayor Fry if, to this date, anyone has identified that officer or has any disciplinary action been taken. If he's still on the force, ask him if he even remembers because murdering innocent black Minneapolis residents is so routine, I doubt anyone at City Hall wants you to remember that happened at all. Hell, I can't even find an article written on Lamont Frazier after July 7th, 2021. And carjacking is a huge issue in our city. Shit, it spiked all over the nation if you check the numbers. But I wouldn't trade an innocent life in the name of catching one carjacker. Crime and the lack of police accountability both serve to erode the feeling of safety in a city. Neither of those are acceptable to me. And I refuse to believe there's not a better way to solve both of them. However, incompetence, negligence, and lack of accountability from Mayor Fry and the police department is what I pay for, which is why I voted against both of them, because I don't want to pay for that anymore. And that's before I get to the fact that Minneapolis only solved 37% of their murder cases. By contrast, St. Paul PD solved 91%. But this is what y'all voted for. The majority of Minneapolis, anyway. Like, all the power structure has to do to placate the masses is symbolism and 
empty rhetoric until the storm passes every single time state-sanctioned violence occurs. Like, I imagine Mayor Fry and the union head of the MPD have to be thinking, accountability for what? They gonna vote for us anyway? They like, we have fear on our sides, on levels. And that's enough to keep nice white neighbors clinging to us. Mm. Speaking on articles written, Y'all know I have been sounding this alarm since episode zero or two because I can't find episode one still. Anyway, been sounding the alarm that Twin Cities mainstream media is an accomplice to the MPD. And I don't know if it's the men bankrolling them looking at you, Glenn Taylor, or I have another theory that I'm not trying to basically air out. So I'll keep it to myself right now. But the media coverage over the pandemic to now with all the major issues affecting Minnesota has been embarrassingly abysmal. I mean, for the Washington Post and The Intercept to be doing the best investigative journalism in Minnesota better than the Star Tribune, that's wild as fuck. Look at Lamont Frazier case for example how has there been no follow-up to the mayor when you get the initial report from the mpd after they murdered amir Locke, it's supposed to be star tribune that then interrogates that report before releasing it and creating such a damaging narrative and the relationship between the media and power is supposed to be a bit if not arguably extremely adversarial not allowing themselves to become full-on police propaganda puppets like WCCO when they were employing Liz Collin to report on the union boss of the police department while she was in bed with him. Call me crazy, but I still expect more from the Star Tribune, a higher standard from the Star Tribune, especially as a paying customer. So for that initial report to come out from the MPD that was a flagrant lie, again, and for them to just release it as fact and run with it, it was as if they were trying to signal the readers, hey, this one was an okay shooting, guys. Relax, please. But I guess to be fair, I shouldn't be expecting much from the newsroom that smeared Winston Smith because of quote unquote police scanner information. That one still boggles my mind to this day. The rush from the Twin Cities media to want to assuage the public of police wrongdoing before any independent research is done is the death of journalism and the birth of state-run media. We have to demand better and support outlets like Sahan Journal, Georgia Ford, Minnesota Reformer, The Intercept, North News, etc. Because the big dogs in local media appear to be interested only in feasting on the scraps fed to them from the MPD and City Hall. Anyway, those previous topics are all things I've spoken on in the past and sadly will probably speak on in the future. And I kind of ran past the main point that I wanted to make with this little bit of time I have left in this episode. It's one of the more untalked about angles of the case. And it's this concept of why Americans don't think blacks have a right to the Second Amendment. Or to say it a different way, why do whites have a monopoly on the right to bear arms? Next season, I'm going to do a whole episode on it, maybe two on this topic, but I'm going to try to abbreviate it here, so bear with me. When the big lie of an initial report came out from the MPD about their murder of Amir Locke and the media ran with the black male had a gun at the time he was killed narrative, ask yourself, why do you think that was? When the MPD nefariously released the still image of a gun near Amir Locke from an officer's body camera, but not the actual body camera video, why do you think that was done? It's my estimation that it's because the almost subconscious, unspoken belief that black people don't get the same right to bear arms in America as whites, unless in sanctioned occupations. So, of course, if you join the military, the police, cool. You can tote your gun around in uniform. No problem. Outside of that, though, you are automatically a threat to be dealt with lethally. This is something I've been thinking about since the murder of Philando and the subsequent acquittal of his killer, Officer Geronimo Yanez. I tell this story often. It's a case that shook my already jaded belief system to its very core. Quick recap. Philando, a cafeteria worker in the Twin City school system, him, his girlfriend, and her small daughter were in the car. He told the officer he had his weapon but has license to carry. He was going to prove it. And without care for the woman, child, or the humanity of the man in the car, police officer 
Commander Geronimo fired seven bullets at him, hitting him five times, murdering him in cold blood. And one of the reasons it was so difficult for me to understand is, well, to say it plainly, I have a lot of white friends. And coupled that with being the military, I have a lot of white friends who love their guns. <laughs> Sometimes I joke that it's borderline fetish, like legit homosexuals, how they adore their guns. And I'm sure you have friends like this too, licensed to carry Americans who just enjoy their guns. They love deer hunting, which I mean, okay, just don't call it a sport. <laughs> or they pheasant hunt with their bird dogs, or just shooting some cans and having a beer passes as good-natured recreation. But the gun in and of itself doesn't signify anything nefarious. On the contrary, it's a point of pride. And that's dope. To be honest, guns, they made me nervous growing up in inner-city Philadelphia. I just know the damage they can cause in concentrated poverty and the urge, the need, really, for so many to carry them for basic protection. But once I turned 18 and joined, I grew to love range days. I always feel like I can use more time shooting. And the joy my friends feel, however odd, made me want to have one of my own. Like, they really love the fuck out of the Second Amendment. And I want to love it like that, too. After all, I'm a red-blooded American. And guns are as American as apple pie. Not debating the rights and wrongs of it and who should have it and who shouldn't have it when on today's episode. But just that it is. Except for that unwavering fact that my skin is black. And that coupled with the weapon is grounds for a death sentence whenever met with white discomfort or fear in their gun. It will always be a justification for my death in a way that just isn't afforded vice versa. Shit, I carry a knife on me like most men in uniform and I find myself second guessing that if as a good idea for the chance that I could be confronted by law enforcement. Wendell Pierce, famously of the greatest television show in history the wire y'all know how the theme go we walk through the garden hbo please don't sue me which sidebar they need to do a reboot in minneapolis the goddamn storylines write themselves <laughs> but anyway wendell pierce was the first person i heard hypothesize this and i quote if every black male 18 to 35 applied for a conceal and carry permit and then joined the nra the same day there would be gun control laws in a second unquote <laughs> and truth be told the only hyperbole in that quote is that every black male would need to do it <laughs> i'd start the wager at like 27 and a half percent but seriously it turns out that uneasy feeling i get being black around the second amendment is not only valid it's the very function of how the amendment came to be at the end of last year i came across this book called the second and if you follow me on ig at word away if you're nasty <laughs> then you saw I recommended this read and it's well worth it. Those who love learning about America's origin story, while it's still legal to do that, <laughs> should definitely give this book a try. But when, if we are taught about the Second Amendment, we are told it was to protect us from a tyrannical government or to fight against the British when they came. But the truth of the story is much more sinister. In short, simplified summation, the South didn't want the North or the federal government to tell them they couldn't have slaves. And the need to protect against that type of government overreach as they saw it, guns were essential. But more importantly, guns were the primary means plantation owners in the South had to quash all the revolts of the enslaved people who were being denied American values of life liberty and the pursuit of happiness by their enslavers in the south the irony is that enslaved people revolting is as american as it gets and just in case mr kanye west is listening sorry buddy slavery not a choice but yeah the plantation owning enslavers of the south they were terrified of what would happen if or when blacks could secure guns and shoot back especially when they heard of how the haitians fought for their freedom and won against the french so really the second amendment was added as a compromise between the founding father james madison and the pro-slavery founding fathers of the south to protect and forge a more perfect 
Soviet Union of the young United States. <laughs> I've already gone deeper than I intended to, but from the infancy of America, America has feared the idea of blacks with guns because of the threat it could pose to the power structure, aka white supremacy. And from that fear rose the Second Amendment. You can draw a straight line from their runaway slave patrol and fugitive slave law to the no-knock warrant death of dear Breonna Taylor with none of those white officers being arrested or jailed to nearly two years later, the no-knock warrant death of young Amir Locke and why the initial report, again, which was a complete lie, coupled with a still photo of a gun owned by an American who was licensed to carry, was supposed to serve as Officer Mark Hanneman and the MPD's get-out-of-jail-free card. And it's why some local news outlets were all too eager to run with the narrative. It illustrates that the white supremacy complex, direct descendant of overseeing policing culture, is such that it feels entitled to, note, demands black inferiority, obedience, submission, compliance, even while that black human is sleeping. Failure to do so could cost you your very life on earth. Never mind a mere lock, a civilian, was so disciplined he had the muscle memory to keep his finger off the trigger and barreled down in a way until he could properly assess the threats mere seconds after being jolted awake from sleep and purposely disoriented. It's such a crying shame that we couldn't expect a Minneapolis police officer with 12 years experience to do the same. And to the larger point, I could dive into the hypocrisy of gun advocate groups not coming to the defense of Amir Locke. In fact, they should be leading the protest for Amir Locke, especially the quote-unquote libertarians in the crowd. Ultimately, who I look at first in times like this are the influencers and allies, quote-unquote, who need to wait until it's socially unacceptable to not speak out before they say anything. Because the truth of it is, nice white neighbors, again, when they put that false narrative out, that false initial report out, they're looking to appease you. And ultimately, it's only your outrage that will fix this. Ultimately, it doesn't matter how eloquent I can state the problem. It's going to be you. And now you can recognize why they thought what they did would work. And you can do better and be better. Stop worrying about who you may offend and speak up to be on the right side of history. Not to sound too comic book, but the fate of the city is in the balance. And you got to vote better and you got to do better and be better in order to save it. That's the word away, y'all. Wow. The Weirdo Web podcast way out across the pond. This is sick. Weirdo Web winning. That's a wrap, weirdos. Whew. What's crazy is everything you heard before the last segment was recorded like back in October, December, sometime like that. And it's all super relevant. The main takeaway is we have to demand more of our institutions. They serve us, not the other way around. They are what we allow them to be. And I challenge you to be a more engaged citizen with your democracy. Don't let democracy happen to you. Let you, we, us happen to it. It's a more fruitful experience if you are actively participating in it. It's like good sex. You imagine your partner watching TV while you fucking, you'd be pretty upset. <laughs> Think of that, our democracy that way. As always, I'm so grateful to Kevon for the outro. Thank you to Officer Walker for the interview and helping us escape our echo chambers. Yes, season one is in the books. And we're going to be going on a little hiatus, but we're going to be studying the craft, trying to get better. I want to think of season one as practice. Season two is game time. <laughs> While I'm gone, be sure to spread the gospel. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Five stars, five stars, five stars, because... You know how that go. 
per usual coming to you from an undisclosed studio and by studio i mean you know how that goes too please 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 do me a favor tell your loved ones you love them this shit is so temporary so fragile cherish every moment take every opportunity next time we meet i hope it's in a happier minneapolis because if you don't know nothing about me you know i love my city i put on (laughs) till next time weirdos find the weirdos find your way we're the way out in honor of Amir Locke and all the victims of gun violence in the city of Minneapolis.